0: Turtles are jaw-droppingly amazing. There are turtles who can run faster than a ten year old. There's turtles that can climb. We don't there. think of turtles that can climb, but they can climb trees. There's turtles most turtles that I've been tested can hear and talk.
1: When we when we go and talk to kids, this is a, a real big thing, but there's turtles that can pee out of their mouths. <laughs>
0: and turtles that spend the winter breathing through their butts.
1: There's turtles with necks longer than their bodies.
0: And there's turtles whose shells glow
2: in the dark.
1: So they're really full of surprises. They do amazing things that people just don't realize that they do.
2: That's author Cy Montgomery and illustrator Matthew Patterson. We talk with them about their acclaimed book of time and turtles, Mending the World, Shell by Shattered Shell. Then we share some of our favorite conversations from 2023. That's all coming up on Today's Writer's Voice, in-depth conversation with writers of all genres on the air since 2004. Thanks for joining us this hour on the station and at writersvoice.net. I'm Francesca Riannon. Cy Montgomery has a gift for bringing the reader intimately into the mind and world of animals, from her celebrated book, The Soul of an Octopus, to the one we spoke with her about in 2022, The Hawk's Way. Now she's teamed up with illustrator and turtle maven Matthew Patterson to bring us into the minds and world of turtles and the people who rescue them. Their book, Of Time and Turtles, is both heartbreaking, as they tell us about the plight of these ancient creatures, 60% of which are threatened or endangered, and inspiring, as they recount the stories of turtles brought back from the brink of death to finally be released back into the wild, and what characters those turtles are. Fire Chief, Pizza Man, and other wonderful beings leap off the page into the imagination as the reader follows them from tragedy to triumph. The real heroes of the story are the founders of Turtle Rescue League, Natasha Nowick, and Alexia Bell. We hear about their remarkable operation in Massachusetts and about the thrilling rescue mission they organized And that Cy Montgomery and Matt Patterson went on to save endangered sea turtles washed ashore on Cape Cod, all in the middle of a nor'easter. Of Time and Turtles tells us all about these amazing creatures and why we should care about them. Cy Montgomery and Matt Patterson, welcome to Writer's Voice.
0: Uh, We are thrilled to be here. Thank you.
2: Now, it's right there in the title time and turtles, of time and turtles. Why time?
0: Well, my previous big book that I'd spent years working on examined one of the two hard problems in philosophy, which is consciousness. That was the soul of an octopus, but it was also a way to examine the wonder of consciousness and whether, you know, what's its nature? Can it exist in a creature so unlike us as an octopus. You know, what is consciousness and who has it? But time is considered the other hard problem in philosophy. And after I turned 60, I became more interested in the nature of time. And who better to lead me on this investigation than turtles, who are these ancient creatures who arose with the dinosaurs and who live sometimes for hundreds of years, and who exemplify patient persistence. So I thought this was going to be a great combination. But what I, I had no idea, of course, was when I began the real work of the book with illustrator Matt Patterson, we had no clue that time itself was about to stop, because all of the stories related in this book happened and were lived during the pandemic so it was a really interesting time to explore time itself a time when time stopped well it seemed to for so many people you know it it seemed that time stalled the new york times declared that the word that best described the way people felt was languishing and yet Even though the clock and the calendar ceased to have the importance that did when we were going to school and when we were going to church and we were going to work and nine to five and going to birthday parties and holiday gatherings and even funerals, because all of these stopped. What was ongoing when we were working with the turtles was seasonal time, cyclical time, sacred time, what the Greeks called kairos as separate from Chronos, the, the time of the clock and the calendar. And in this way, the turtles
2: rescued us from languishing. And their patience, uh, of course, is what they're famous for. And we'll get back into that. But first, I want to introduce my listeners to you, Matt, longtime listeners, no size. She's been on the show for a while. Tell us about your how you got involved with turtles. I mean one thing that so came across in the book is your boundless enthusiasm for them.
1: Yeah, well thanks. Um I've loved turtles my whole life since I could talk and, and probably before. And um I grew up looking for turtles, observing turtles, drawing turtles and my father was a biology teacher. And he really got me into animals and both my parents, you know, were really good about that, but um, he was always introducing me to different animals. And I just, something about turtles just fascinated me. And I've really been into turtles my whole life. Um, I'm a turtle artist. There's not many of us out there, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but because of turtles, I've traveled all over to see them in the wild, observe them in the wild and their habitats. And when I was a little kid, we went to a family trip to Disney world and I don't really remember much about Disney World, but what I do remember is we saw a gopher tortoise on the side of the road on the way to Disney World, and that's the memory that I took away <laughs> from there. So I have loved turtles my whole life. Um, my Some of my earliest drawings are turtles and dinosaurs.
0: I consider him a turtle savant because <laughs> he knows so much about turtles. And at the time we met, you had, let's see, you had Polly, you had Eddie. I had three
1: turtles. You had...
0: Uh Jimmy. Right. Yep. However, as our research continued.
1: As you learn in the book, I now have 14 <laughs> turtles. And turtles are lifelong animals, so yeah. I will have them forever.
2: And plus, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And has your wife reconciled herself to so many turtles?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, she's accepted it. <laughs> she, she picked she, out one. She did pick out one. Um, no, she really likes the turtles. She just doesn't want me to get any more
2: we're not allowed
1: we're, to we're
2: go. We're supposed to, to we're supposed to cap it at 14. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So now tell us about the other, you know, key human characters in this book. You you focus a lot of the book on the work of the Turtle Rescue League and its two founders, Natasha Nowick and Alexia Bell. Tell us about these two founders of the Turtle Rescue League and about the the league itself. Well,
0: Natasha and Alexia met while Natasha was working at a fashion store and they began going out on expeditions together as, as, as friends and then they fell in love and one day they were on a date and on the way they found a turtle who'd been hit in the road and the turtle was in extremis. They didn't know what to do. They thought it, the case was hopeless, and so they euthanized it. But the next trip, they went out, they went out specifically to look for and rescue turtles. And it went on from there. At one point, they were living in a tiny apartment that was crowded with tanks, and they had a kayak that was used for their rescues suspended above their bed so there was a tiny place for the two of them to sleep. And now they own a house and the house, it's the most amazing house on a block in which every other house is kind of built in the same shape. Theirs really stands out because it's this bright green. And when you pull up, there's all kinds of signs that say, turtle lovers parking only. Violators better shut the shell up and you walk in and you have to step over a barricade that's about as tall as your knees and the first time Matt and I went we wondered like what is the reason for this barricade well we soon met the first reason for the barricade as pizza man came stomping out and uh he's a uh red-footed tortoise red-footed tortoise right And he walked right up to me, stared into my face, looked to the right, back to the center, looked to the left, back in the center. It was absolutely a greeting. And then he stomped on to meet Matt. And Matt, except in the highest of snowstorms, is always wearing flip-flops. So (laughs) even though it was winter, this tortoise, Pizza Man, went and stood directly on the warm tops of Matt's feet and perform the exact same greeting. The next thing we knew, out comes Sprockets. And he's an even bigger tortoise, a Burmese mountain tortoise, and he wanted to be with us too. These are the two tortoises that are living there forever and are considered adopted pets. But if you go down in the basement, in the basement, there are, depending on what time of year it is and whether there's um, eggs who are hatching into to turtles, there could be between 250 to 1,000 turtles in Natasha and Alexia's house. And they are all either abandoned, sick, or injured turtles under their care. It's like stepping into another world. And it was a world that we really wanted to not just enter, but dwell in and participate in and give back. So we spent a couple of years regularly going, sometimes once a week, sometimes more often,
2: to Southbridge Mass to volunteer at Turtle. And you have some amazing turtle characters, and you've mentioned two of them. There's Pizza Man and Sprockets, but the star of the show just has to be Fire Chief. Tell us about him.
1: Fire Chief. Fire Chief is our. He's our favorite turtle. <laughs> Um fire Chief's story is he's named Fire Chief because he lived behind a fire station in a pond, and when he um originally got to that pond, you know it was a long time ago he's he's probably Sai always says he's sixty five exactly her age,
0: age? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but when he got to this pond, the road uh that he had across was was not as busy well every fall he he travels to a different pond across the street to to bromate like hibernation for turtles and now the road is a state highway. And in 2018 he was crossing the road and he was hit by a truck and it cracked his his shell, his top shells, carapace, and it paralyzed his legs, his back legs, and his tail. And he dragged himself back to the side of the road, bleeding, his legs were dragging, and he rolled down the hill and the back into the water and the firemen saw him. And they they used to see him all the time, you know, throughout the summer and the fall crossing and they loved him. But these are these are you know, these are brave heroes that run into buildings and rescue people, but they were afraid of him because he's a snapping turtle. So they called uh, TRL and Natasha and Alexia came out. These two skinny ladies, one of them is blind and they found him in the water and they took him back and they repaired his shell. And when we met him, two years had gone by. So his shell was healed, his shell was healed. Um, but his, and his legs are starting to work, but they still weren't working that well. And we, got assigned to his physical therapy which we love doing and we would take him out and he would walk around in full gravity not in water and he would he would strengthen his legs and we went over him like a helicopter we're like helicopter parents around him um and they started getting stronger and in the winter he had a special wheelchair that was alexia made and a lot of people had input on how to make it because everyone wanted to help him and he started getting better and he started using his legs and uh our goal was eventually to get him back in his his pond. But me and Sari took a visit there and we just realized we couldn't do that because it was, it was so busy, the cars, the road was so busy. So we came up with a solution and he's king of his own pond now. We built him his own pond.
2: And where is that pond?
1: Well, I bought, me and my wife, Erin, got a house in, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it was two years ago. And it's on the same road as Sai. As yes. <laughs> and the first thing I did was dig that pond with the world's smallest excavator. <laughs> it really was like a grapefruit spoon. But we, we dug a <laughs> pond and he, he lives in that. He's safe. He can do wild turtle things. There's tons of fish and frogs and a whole bunch of animals in there and and uh, plants. And he, he he loves it. And we get to see him every day
0: it's so great he's, to he's have a real special
1: butt. turtle he's a wild snapping turtle he's really unique though um he's real gentle and we can scratch his face he loves his neck scratched i mean you shouldn't do this to a snapping turtle you see the side of the road <laughs> yeah. but um he lets us do that we feed him by hand he he um he'll inhibit his bite so that he doesn't hurt us when he's eating and he's, he's a real real special amazing animal
0: and people think of, of snapping turtles as these monsters, you know, they think, Oh, they're eating all the geese on the pond and they'll attack you in the water. All of this is totally false. Um, no snapping turtle is a monster who's going to hurt you, but it was still extraordinary. The first time we took him out of his hospital tank and did his first session of physical therapy outdoors. After walking him around for a while, hanging out with him, making sure that he wasn't scraping his his plastron or his bottom shell, we both, Matt and I, looked at each other, and we both had the same thought at the same moment, and that was, this turtle trusts us, and we both reached out and petted him on the head. And he did not withdraw. He did not snap. He did not hiss. He enjoyed our touch. And at that time, feeling that kind of connection with a wild 42-pound, you know, giant wild snapping turtle, it was a magic moment that took us into what we called turtle time. At a time when it seemed like the whole world was falling apart. We felt part of this sacred, eternal time, thanks to our new friend. And we still can go into turtle time anytime we want, because we can go see him.
2: Yes, and actually you liken it to the Australian Aboriginal dream time and all kinds of other philosophical traditions. I've always been curious about dream time, and your book, Of Time and Turtles, Sai and Matt uh, acquainted me better with that than anything else I've read. Could you just say just a little bit more about that before we talk about more in depth about turtles and their biology and their intelligence?
0: Well, there's so many different um, understandings of what time is. It has is confounded and fascinated humans since time immemorial. Um, Aboriginal dream time was a translation, the, the best that folks could come up with at that time. But, you know, time is one of the most used nouns in the English language, but there is no word for time in the Australian Aboriginal language. So, dream time basically describes creation ongoing, not something that's done, not something that's passed. We in the West have this idea of time's arrow, which is starting over here and heading over there, and it has a destination, it has directionality, and it has a kind of finality. But a lot of other understandings of time are different, and it's not an arrow shooting from here to there. It's not sand that runs out and time that is gone. Instead, it's eternal. And as I get older, as I've entered that age class of elder, that gives me a great deal of delight. I don't feel like all the good times are over. I don't feel like the best times are past. And many of my friends will say that, oh, our best time was when our children were growing up or, you know, all my best time was in college or in high school. Well, I still have all those best times because that time's not gone. It's accumulating like treasure for me. And I can still live those times, and I can now live them with all the knowledge and all the love and all the understanding that I have accumulated as a person for six and a half decades, and that makes them even richer and Everyone I know has that ability if they just recognize it, you know it's not anything special about about me, all of us have that ability to see that richness accrues with time and that time is not going away, but
2: it's piling up like treasure. That's beautiful. And it it puts me in mind of something uh, I read uh, that actually, well, especially for women over 65 and over, the older years are the best years of their life i mean other than the body kind of breaking down
0: Yeah, right that part's kind of a bummer but <laughs> <laughs> turtles don't have that problem turtles get better looking the older turtles
1: they get... get smoother as they get older their shell yeah. gets polished with time
0: that's right they,
1: they don't get wrinkles they they actually they start looking they start
0: smooth. out yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> i know i wish i was getting smoother with time but oh man this is Writer's Voice, and I'm Francesca Rhiannon. We're spending the hour with author Cy Montgomery and turtle artist Matthew Patterson talking about their book, Of Time and Turtles, Mending the World, Shell by Shattered Shell. So let's talk more about turtles and their uh, superpowers and, and as well as some of their fragility. First of all, you you mentioned, um, you know, the the... The journey that uh, fire chief traversed from injury to remarkable rehabilitation, they have incredible powers of healing. What about the biology of turtles makes them both so fragile on the one hand and so re- resilient and let 's start with the resilience first
1: well turtles turtles are really i mean they're really tough animals. They, and this is something, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew this, but working at the rehab, we, we saw turtles with just, you know, terrible injuries that any other animal wouldn't survive. But turtles do survive them. They can, like the chief, uh, fire chief, his spine was damaged, but they can regenerate. And so his legs now do work again. They just need time to heal. Um, we met one turtle named Chutney on our, what was our very first uh, day volunteering there. And Chutney was a, a male snapping turtle was hit by a car, cracked his shell, broke his jaw, and it concussed his brain. And he would flip over. He didn't know which way was up, which way was down. He kept flipping over, rolling over. And every time he did that, Alexia had to reset his jaw. Um, and they tried everything to, to fix this and tried weighing him down, they even tried taping him down. I don't know how, what they were thinking of that. Um, but they were trying everything. And then they found they invented the Chutney tube. And he, they put him in a plastic pitcher and had a handle and acted as a kickstand so he wouldn't roll over. And over time his world stopped spinning and his injuries healed and he just needed time. And that's what they give him there is time. And he, uh, we helped release him two years after he had come in. So turtles are really amazing animals. I mean, they, they've been around for over 200 million years. And if you were to go back 200 million years ago and you saw a turtle, you would recognize it because it looks like the turtles today pretty much. You know it's a really successful design evolutionary design and and they uh they are tough animals but you know they weren't they didn't evolve for roads and cars and people so that's their biggest problem right now
0: that's right there i mean they survived the asteroid impact 66 million years ago they ice survived ages. the yeah. ice ages but will they survive us because the things that we are doing right now are particularly bad for turtles Of all the vertebrate animals and backboned animals that live on the earth, turtles are the most endangered group. And people don't realize this because you go to a pond and you might see a whole lot of turtles. They're probably painted turtles or sometimes red-eared turtles. And you think turtle populations are doing fine, but they are not. 61% of all the over 300 species of turtles In the world today are endangered of extinction and some are extinct in the wild and existing only in assurance colonies such as those that this other organization that we worked with the turtle survival alliance are running to breed up turtles in captivity so they can eventually be released into the wild once it's safe but right now The wild is a minefield for these guys. That wonderful shell that's protected them, it can't protect them against a car zooming on the road. And that wonderful shell that's protecting them, that makes them so beautiful. It makes them targets for abduction. There is a huge illegal trade in live turtles and dead turtles for their shells, for their meat, and for pets. And of course, climate change is a huge, horrible problem for turtles. Sea turtles, of which there are seven species, have the problem of their beaches actually disappearing. Also, many turtles, their sex is determined not by their chromosomes, but by the temperature in their nest. So there are turtles, actually, there's a population in Australia where all the turtles hatch out female. There are no males because the temperature has gotten so high that only females will hatch out. The males need a lower temperature. And if the temperature continues to rise, no turtles at all will hatch out because you will get boiled eggs. So all the problems besetting everybody are besetting turtles, but they are particularly threatened by poaching and by roads.
1: And just people taking a turtle out of the wild, not realizing how harmful that is.
0: Yeah, they don't realize that's poaching. When you say, Oh, I'd like a pet turtle, I'm going to pick this one up and take it home. And we get so many of these at Turtle Rescue League yeah. turtles with hideously deformed shells. Somebody picked up a baby turtle, thought they might even be doing a good deed, took it home, didn't know what to feed it, didn't give it the right kind of light and humidity and tank. And they have terribly deformed shells they are malnourished they have bone diseases
1: it's bad for the turtle but it's also really bad for the population because every uh, adult turtle you see um breeding age it survived it's it's really a miracle like with the eggs when a turtle lays eggs everything is after them over 90 percent of the eggs are predated upon then if it does hatch out everything's after hatchlings even chipmunks eat hatchlings we've had frogs jump into our hands and we're releasing turtles trying to get the hatchlings So, uh, for instance, a female wood turtle may lay hundreds of eggs in her lifetime, and of all those eggs, only one, maybe two, will survive and make it to adulthood. So taking one turtle from the wild is really devastating to the population.
2: Wow. And also, something that surprised me was they really can't see cars, just the same way that we can't see the beats of a hummingbird, because they go too fast for us, cars are going too fast for turtles Ex- explain that yeah it's it's called flicker fusion ratio, and it's a
0: measure of how quickly your your brain can process the images that come to your eyes, so for instance, as you pointed out, when a human looks at a hummingbird who's hovering. We cannot see the individual wing beats. And in fact, we didn't we didn't have any idea until the strobe was strobe photography revealed what those wing beats looked like. We didn't even know the motion of those wings. But a hawk can totally see each individual wing beat because they need to see very fast. Hawks, for example, can dive out of the sky at 240 miles an hour. So you need to be able to process that. Well, turtles don't need that kind of processing power because their world tends to be slower. So not being able to see a car speeding down the highway at 60 miles an hour, that wasn't a problem for most of 200 million years. But all of a sudden, they're facing this this terrible problem. And in many areas, we've we've read studies showing that, you know, turtles are all going to be wiped out because every single one of them is going to be run over by a car.
2: Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. Thanks to the Turtle Rescue League and to other, I'm sure there are other organizations around the world as well. And we'll get back to more of our conversation with Cy Montgomery and Matthew Patterson after the break.
3: Just luck, luck, luck As we make our way across the sand to the sea We've just hatched, hatched, hatched From our eggs, eggs, eggs And the ocean water world is where we need to be We are baby sea turtles We've been growing in our eggs That a mother laid in a nest in the warm, dry sand Now that all of us are hatched It's time to begin To dash together To the sea To have our first swim Here we go Go, go Wish us
2: That's a song about baby sea turtles. Here we go by Birdsong and the Eco Wonders. Welcome back to Writer's Voice. I'm Francesca Riannon. Go to writersvoice.net to find more great content, including web only features like book excerpts and interview transcripts. Now let's get back to my conversation with Cy Montgomery and Matthew Patterson about their book of Time and Turtles. I wanna come back to this climate disruption because you have a, a, a really stunning chapter in this book of Time and Turtles, Cy Montgomery and Matt Patterson, about your excursion to I believe it was Cape Cod to rescue yeah. sea turtles. Yes. Tell us why you had to rescue them, what the you know, what was the connection with climate disruption and, and what that was like.
1: Well this took place in Cape Cod and we were rescuing cold stunned sea turtles. And we, what do we hiked about nine or no 10 miles that night on yeah, the beach. Yeah, we got
0: extra miles.
1: We, yeah, we, we did a lot. I had an ice fishing sled that we dragged along. But what happens is these, uh, the ones we got were Kemp's Ridley sea turtles, the most endangered uh, sea turtles in the world. And what happens is um, they're staying north too long in the seas because the temperature is warmer and then it gets cold too quickly and they don't migrate uh, south fast enough, and they they get stuck. And they get stuck in the in the arm of the cape, and they basically um, cold stun is like being hypothermic. It's hypothermia for turtles, and they just kind of float along, and they wash ashore, and they'll die if if no one does anything. And you have to go on on storms or like really uh, bad weather, where the the wind is blowing in certain, there's very specific weather conditions. And we went out one night. It was pitch black and it was windy. It wasn't raining, but it was December. And you don't think of looking for reptiles in Massachusetts in December, <laughs> but we found five that night. It was, it was windy. It was, it was really amazing experience. And like I said, we went 10 miles and we would find these turtles in the pitch black with really strong flashlights and they just wash up. And they're just really even not moving or just super slow. And we load them into the ice fishing sled and we packed it with seaweed so that they you know, give them a little insulation and we dragged them 10 miles and then we took them to the uh, Wellfleet Audubon and they eventually worked their way to, um, the New England Aquarium has a center in Quincy for sea turtles and they really rehabilitate them there and they fly them south and release them. So all the ones we found survived.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced hypothermia. I have. And you're, you're kind of out of your mind, but there's nothing they can do. These are cold-blooded creatures. Reptiles are cold-blooded.
1: You can't warm them up. Like you think you would just warm them up quickly. They have to warm them up only one degree a day. So you can't just put them in your car with the heat on and drive them to the well fleet. You have to have all the windows down. It has to be cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: But these folks, they know exactly what to do. It was amazing. The, the turtles that we got were um adolescents you know they're probably what um nine ten
1: yeah uh, they were they weren't they weren't full grown
0: no but these turtles will eventually get really big and some of them can live a hundred years or more so the idea of putting someone back into the wild who's going to go on living their best life for you know 50 60 70 100 more years that's just a great feeling
2: yeah, I was rooting there with you. And and the reason, the link to climate is, is that the waters are too warm to signal that they should be moving south until it's actually too late to move south without um, risking, you know, the hypothermia. Is that right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. this did not used to happen. I mean, th- what, 30 years ago, this was unheard of. No,
1: and it, there... Um you know, there's more and more every year, it seems so.
0: Yeah, the the Gulf of Maine, that, that whole area is warming, I think, faster than any other body of water in the world. And so it stays nice and warm. The turtles are like, okay, this is just fine. And then by the time it gets cold, it is so cold in the Atlantic that they can't move, their bodies won't move. And, you know, Thank God for the storms, though, because if it weren't for the storms pushing them like driftwood back to the beach, these turtles would be just gone. We couldn't have rescued them unless they were brought back by the waves. So the storms were life-giving in this sense. When we left that day for that for that, that expedition, cool oh my gosh! We had well, a snowstorm. We had the day a huge before, snowstorm, and, and man had the, the I had no power. power.
1: <laughs> I told my wife, though, I we had no power in the house, but I told her
0: I have to go look for turtles,
1: <laughs> which you know I don't think she was thrilled with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but it, one of your snakes had gotten out, and we were kind of hoping that
2: might drive him back in. So, <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned. I mean, it's heartbreaking. There is a lot of heartbreak in this book, but there's also a lot of inspiration. But it's so heartbreaking to think of turtles going extinct. You say there, this is was also totally new to me, that turtles are essential to their ecosystems. Give us some examples of why.
1: Yeah, they, they really are the foundation in many ecosystems. And Psy talks about the world turtle, which is this image in many cultures and the world is held on the back of a turtle. This is this is really kind of true. Um, gopher tortoises in the South um, are a great example. They're keystone species. So over 360 other animals completely depend on them for survival.
0: And they They're, make their their tunnels they provide. Be, these big, you know,
1: long tunnels, um, you know, even all the eggs that are predated upon, uh, all that energy is going back into that system and animals depend on that sea turtles there's a species that eat sponges that help protect coral reefs there's some eat jellyfish it help overpopulate jellyfish from this you know so they're really really important animals and they are the most you know threatened group of vertebrates and we met turtles at the turtle survival alliance that were extinct in the wild
0: yeah, that was amazing. And the different kinds of turtles, they just blow your mind. We all, you know, we're all familiar with turtles. We know turtles. We love turtles. But we don't know them because they are jaw-droppingly amazing. Full of surprises. There are turtles who can run faster than a 10-year-old.
1: There's turtles that can climb. You don't there, think of turtles that can climb, but they can climb trees.
0: There's turtles. Most turtles that i have been tested can hear and talk.
1: Yeah, there there are turtles that can, when we, when we go and talk to kids, this is a real big thing, but there's turtles that can pee out of their mouths.
0: <laughs> turtles that spend the winter breathing through their butts.
1: <laughs> there's turtles with uh, necks longer than their bodies.
0: And there's turtles whose shells glow in the dark.
1: So they're really full of surprises. They do amazing things that people
0: just don't realize that they do. Yeah, we, we We were blown away by the variety and the talents of turtles, and I was blown away to see how strong their personalities could be that we could see now, of course, you know every animal is a unique individual, just as we are, but sometimes we can't see it. You know what i mean with with dogs, we totally see it, we know the position of the The ears, and we know the look in their eyes, and they're so like us. You can figure that out. The face, a
1: turtle's face doesn't have the same muscles, so it doesn't have the same expressions. It's kind of frozen.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, there's even turtles, they're called pancake tortoises that are flat they look like they've already been run over by a car but they haven't they live in the desert and they squeeze into they, crevices
1: They're kind of flexible and they squeeze in the crevices and then they kind of puff up a little bit so that they're really wedged in there and that's their defense from predators yeah so you can't get them out
0: they're amazing there's turtles that look like they have six eyes because they have these these markings on their head and neck That look like eyes to confuse predators.
1: Kind of like uh, some of those moths you see have eye spots or or butterflies. They have like a fake eye spot on their wings. That's what these, these spots in the head look like.
0: And people think of, you know, turtles being green or turtles being brown. They're some of the most colorful animals in the world. And they come in colors that you just would not believe. It's beautiful. Some have like bright red necks. Some have blue. Some have little yellow spots all over them. Oh yeah, And they look like a night spangled sky. Yeah. Oh, there's there's so many kinds, and
1: and there's these radiated tortoises, and a lot of uh, turtles have uh, patterns, and it's almost like a fingerprint. It's unique to that individual, so you can ID them by doing that, by seeing that, recording it.
0: You can see I really went down a, a I guess a, a gopher tortoise hole. But this- <laughs> I guess so. <laughs>
2: No, That's wonderful. Um, Yeah, and you were talking about personality. You know, I had a little encounter with with a turtle. We have eastern box turtles here that are, um, they're not endangered, but they're threatened. And you can see signs all over the place, um, a turtle crossing. So people are pretty aware of them. Anyway, I was out blowing my leaves before I knew that you're not supposed to blow your leaves. You're supposed to leave them on the ground so that, you know, insects and little creatures can overwinter in them. And I was I was using an electric blower, so I mean, it wasn't, you know, a gas blower, but I uncovered a box turtle. Wow. And I immediately stopped blowing and I left the area. And the next day, a friend of mine came over, and we were in my garden, and who sauntered up to us and got right in between us and kind of said hello to us, but an eastern box turtle. Wow! I'm pretty sure it was the same one. Oh, that is great! I know, I I just really had the sense that it was saying, hi, and thank you for stopping to blow my habitat away from me. (laughs)
0: Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> well, they definitely do recognize people we've we we know that um, and they learn stuff. There have been very few studies about reptilian intelligence, but some are quite social uh they learn and remember things um some of them will learn mazes as quickly as a lab rat. I mean, they won't run the maze as quickly as a lab rat, but they learn it as quickly as as a lab rat. And at New England Aquarium, where there's a wonderful uh, green sea turtle named Myrtle, who's nine years yeah. old. Yeah, Matt, Matt has a picture of himself with, with four her. Years with four years old, look at her. <laughs> Well, she was part of a, an intelligence experiment. And this experiment was so complex that I don't even think I'm smart enough to describe what she had to do. I didn't understand <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> but it involved, like, different lights and using your flippers to to hit this thing and then that thing if you saw this she memorized it all she totally figured it out and she's also figured out the staff at the aquarium she has she she loves to be part of where the action is so frequently as you can imagine at the aquarium they have you know film crews And not every film crew wants to make every film all about Myrtle, but she photobombs the action to the point that they have to deploy at least one diver whose sole job during the filming is to distract her by feeding her her favorite food,
1: which is Brussels sprouts. She's a big, she's a big turtle. She's 550 pounds. (laughs) Right. And she's just spilling out of her shell, so yeah. you you can't miss her when she swims in.
2: she's such a character. It's all that. It's all those Brussels sprouts. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and she she even steals squid right out of shark's mouths. So she's really the queen of the tank. She's yes. huge.
2: Oh, wow, that's amazing. This is Writer's Voice, and I'm Francesca Rhiannon. We're spending the hour with author Cy Montgomery and turtle artist Matthew Patterson talking about their book. Of Time and Turtles, Mending the World, Shell by Shattered Shell. So now let's talk about how many turtles the Turtle Rescue League has rescued, at least in the time that you were there. I'm not sure you. if you talk about the total number or the time when you were working with them. Um, it's amazing what they've done, and, and, and some of it has also been... This new method that they've devised for incubating eggs. So, talk about rescuing eggs and incubating them, and then how many turtles they actually have saved.
1: Well, uh, there's a, actually um, they didn't come up with this, but there's a lot of groups that, that do this. And you can take eggs from females that have been hit by cars; they're dead, and you can, if you get them in time, you can incubate them and hatch them out. So those those eggs actually still have a chance to survive. But, I mean, when we were there, I I don't know, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of turtles.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you count all the
1: hatchlings, too, it's, you know, thousands.
0: Thousands, thousands. So many eggs are laid in inappropriate places. They were totally appropriate for millions of years, but not anymore because someone put a parking lot there or someone's just dug up, you know, some piece of land to make a garden or to put a shed there
1: a construction site where there's big piles of dirt which looks really really good for a turtle but obviously that's an awful spot
0: that's right and so folks will call turtle rescue league and we will rush out uh and dig up those eggs and very very carefully without jostling them because you can kill the embryo inside if you're not very careful we take them back and put them in their incubators which they're Sometimes they call them the monster makers for when you're hatching out little uh, snapping turtles, because God willing, those animals will get to be giant snappers like Fire Chief one day. And it is such a joy to be there when the little babies are hatching out of their eggs. Each one has their own kind of method. Some turtles will take hours to come out of their eggs, others explode out of the eggs. And to have someone hatch in your hand, and to look into the faces of these little creatures who already look like wise grandfathers. They and look like perfect
1: little miniatures.
0: They do. And they're armed with the knowledge that goes back 200 million years. These guys hatch and they know what to do. They immediately know, okay, I've, I've got to, I've got to find water. And some of them appear to wander around for a while mapping their world. Others will hatch out of their egg, but stay in their nest and overwinter there. I mean, can you imagine anyone more pathetically vulnerable? You just got born. You're staying in your nest. You're going to freeze almost solid. There's
1: ice crystals all around them.
0: You're not going to get anything to eat all winter long. And then it's spring and you wake up in this debilitated state you don't know anything because you were just born, but you have the wisdom of the ancestors. And that's when a lot of these little painted turtles that everyone sees get up and they walk right to their pond or their or their river. And how they know how to do that, no one really knows, but they do. And you are in awe of these little creatures.
1: And we got to after they hatched, we would take them back to where they were, you know, where they were found. And we get to release them.
0: Yeah, this was so fun. That's always really fun part. We've also done um, what's known as head starting. And we worked uh, with a nest protection group, not all that far from where we live in New Hampshire. And these two other ladies, and we can't tell you their real names because we need to protect the nesting area because of the poaching situation. But one is a retired librarian. Uh, she's actually she's not retired from working, but she's no, no longer a librarian. One a retired school teacher. Yeah, one's a retired this, school teacher. This
1: all takes place behind this suburban development next to two baseball fields and in a parking lot and porta potties.
0: Big, yeah, yeah, and there's they've just, got oh gosh how many acres? Several dozen acres. Yeah, and five species of native turtles nest there.
1: Three of them are. Uh, endangered or threatened and they've been doing this for 15 years and they're permitted with the state and and they've protected hundreds of nests and thousands and thousands of baby turtles
0: this entails sometimes waiting up really late at night following these turtles who are nesting sometimes you're following a turtle who isn't moving and you discover it's a rock
1: yeah one of the ladies watched waited for like two hours in the middle of the night she had binoculars and she was watching what she thought was a turtle and it was
0: a rock (laughs) But, you know, they're up late at night being chewed by mosquitoes, but they want to know where the nests are. Sometimes the the turtles cover them up so well that even an expert can't tell anybody laid, laid eggs there.
2: So this book is so important, I think, of Time and Turtles for really opening up the reader to, you know, a, a, an arena of conservation that most of us are not aware of. And and I'm so encouraged to see just how successful this book has been. I mean, a New York Times bestseller, Amazon editor's pick, best book of 2023, it goes on. For our listeners, if there was one thing you wanted to tell them or leave them with— something that they can do to help turtles? Or is just something you'd like them to know? What would that be? And, and let's start with Sai.
0: Well, the very first thing I'd like people to know is that you need to stop and cross turtles. Cross them in the direction they're going. Don't turn them around to where they have been. They are probably going to dig a nest, which is not near the water. Often it's far from water. People see these Poor mother turtles. It's like a pregnant woman in labor trying to hitchhike to the hospital to give birth, and you pick her up and you take her back to her office. No, don't do that. Trust the turtle. Cross the turtle. Don't pick up snapping turtles by the tail. um Learn learn how to cross them because you're saving a life that may then go on for a hundred more years.
1: And don't take turtles from the wild. Um, call a rehabber if you find an injured turtle. And there's a lot of groups out there that you can support, like the Turtle Survival Alliance, and you can donate to them. They work with turtles all over the world, and their motto is Zero Turtle Extinctions. And they're the the group that we visited, and we got to see some turtles that are extinct in the wild, and they only exist in these assurance colonies. And they work all over the world to save turtles.
0: So everyone can be a turtle hero. That's, I guess, the main message of the book. And you know, these, these common animals that everyone knows and sees. It was our hope that this book would just inspire fresh wonder that and know that every one of these creatures is a thinking, feeling individual whose survival is a miracle and is perilous, but we can help.
2: Well, you both are my turtle heroes, Cy Montgomery and Matt Patterson. It's a beautiful book, just such a wonderful, wonderful story and many stories that you tell of time and turtles mending the world, shell by shattered shell. Thank you so much for this great conversation. Oh, it's so
0: great to talk with you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.
2: Cy Montgomery is the author of numerous books for adults and children, including The Hawk's Way, How to Be a Good Creature, and Tamed and Untamed. Go to WritersVoice.net to hear our conversations with her about those books. Matthew Patterson is a wildlife artist and owner of Stone Ridge Art Studios. In addition to Of Time and Turtles, he also collaborated with Cy Montgomery on a children's book, The Book of Turtles. Go to writersvoice.net for links to his turtle art and to videos about the Turtle Rescue League and more. And here's a look back at some of our favorite conversations this past year. In November, we spoke with New York Times columnist and author Margaret Renkel about her literary devotional to the life in her backyard, The Comfort of Crows. Beautifully written, it reminds us to pay attention to the fragile and wondrous life around us. By protecting it, we enrich our own lives immeasurably. And she gave us an exclusive reading from her book.
4: This one's called Loving the Unloved Animals, Summer Week 3. It begins with an epigraph from William Blake's Visions of the Daughters of Albion that goes... Arise and drink your bliss, for everything that lives is holy. Sing, O muse, of the lumbering opossum, of the nearsighted, stumbling opossum, whose only defenses are a hiss and a hideous scowl. Let us rejoice in the pink-nosed, pink-fingered opossum, her silvery pouch full of babies, no bigger than a honeybee. May the young opossums thrive to ride upon her back. May they fatten and grow large and stumble off on their own to devour cockroaches and carrion and venomous snakes. May their snuffling root the ticks from our yards and the snails from our flower beds. When they faint in the face of our baying hounds, let us guard them till they wake. Let us cheer when they rise and shake themselves. Let us send them off with our blessings as they blunder back into the night. Let peals of gratitude ring out too for the glossy vulture, soarer of air currents, eater of gore. We gaze in wonder at the vulture's distant perfection, mistaking them for creatures we thoughtlessly love much more, eagles, hawks, ospreys. Slow in our heavy human bones, we follow them with our eyes, watching as they barely shift the angle of their wings to bank and glide, to circle and circle again. O vulture! May we remember in your circling the cycle you complete. On the ground, something is suffering. Something is coming near to the end of its time among us, but its life is not ending. Its life can never end. You are turning its body into something beautiful, blood and feathers and hollow bones earthbound no longer, the dead are rising again in you, rising and rising, lifted on air.
2: Also this month, Corbin Addison told us what happened when a poor African-American community went up against the biggest meatpacking company in the world. His spellbinding legal thriller is Wastelands, the true story of farm country on trial. In August, we thrilled to the story Buzzy Jackson told us about the Dutch anti-Nazi saboteur Hanne Schaft and pondered the lessons it holds for us as we confront fascism today. Her novel, based on true events, is To Die Beautiful. We also spoke that month with Paul Kicks, who told us the riveting story of the fight to end Jim Crow. Led by the greatest figures of the civil rights movement, and won by children. His book is You Have to Be Prepared to Die Before You Can Begin to Live. July 4, 2023 was the hottest day ever recorded on Earth, and it just could be the coolest July we'll ever see again. That same month, we spoke with climate journalist and author Jeff Goodell about his book The Heat Will Kill You First, Life and Death on a Scorched Planet. Then in April, we learned about what's happening with our microbiome, with skyrocketing cases of diabetes, autoimmune diseases, and obesity. Filmmakers Sarah Shank and Stephen Lawrence told us about their documentary, The Invisible Extinction. That's by no means a full list of our favorites. We link to some more at writersvoice.net. <laughs> That's it for Writer's Voice this week and for this year. Happy New Year. We'll see you again in 2024. Go to writersvoice.net to listen to or download past shows, plus find out more about our guests or read book excerpts. And you can read interview transcripts at the Writer's Voice Substack. I'm your host, Francesca Riannon.